Welcome back to Body Talk with Bex. This week, we welcome back Haley Daggett, as well as Tamara Harrison, to discuss what it's like to have medical trauma, as well as how to handle having medical trauma. So let's just jump right on in. It's a great discussion. This week we have Haley back and another guest. Um, do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Sure. So I'm Tamara Harrison. I am a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Washington. My specialty is OCD and related disorders. So anxiety, phobias, and body focused repetitive behaviors like hair pulling, skin picking, nail biting. I have a private practice and I just started expanding to hire some people. So I have two new hires coming on and yeah, that's about it. That's really exciting. Congrats on expanding. That's thank you. It is very such a cool phase to be in. Yes. And that sounds like it's gonna go hand in hand with what we're talking about today anyways. So absolutely yeah breaking that cycle. So I hadn't really thought about the idea of medical trauma or PTSD due to past medical experiences before, but it's been mentioned a few times in a few recent interviews on the show. And so I thought it was something that maybe we should talk about it because it's not being talked about anywhere else. Yeah. So I mentioned the idea to you like a month and a half ago, and you were so excited to talk Mm -hmm. about it. I was, yeah. And that you actually have a few clients that are dealing with medical-related trauma. And so you have experience handling this kind of trauma. How common would you say it really is? I mean, both of you, do you have? Yeah, so this is Haley uh, going first. So I was kind of daunted to answer that question just because I'm, you know, I'm not like like a total newbie in the field. But when you think about like therapists that have been doing this for 20, 30 years, I'm newer in that capacity. But that said, I did a quick count this morning and I have seven on my caseload out of about 26 cases that this is either it is some somewhere related in their history. Mm. Some want to talk about it. Some don't. I think I also did like a second count. And I was like four where it's the primary or the secondary concern for why, for why they're seeing. That's impressive. Uh, That's like yeah, a third of I your caseload approximately. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of shocked by those numbers at my first guess. I was like, I kind of grabbed in my mind, like, two or three because like it's either primary or secondary for them. But then I was like, wait, no, I know more. I know more about some of these. And so, yeah, I also just kind of thought it was like an interesting question. So then I like kind of wanted to back it up with like some quick research 
that I did, I found two really good articles. The first one was published by, it's an article published within the American Counseling Association Journal. And it was written and researched by Michelle Flomhall and Scott E. Hall. So I just want to give them credit. This is where I'm taking, the, and I'll mention more of this article later. But the name of the article is When Treatment Becomes Trauma, Defining, Preventing, and Transforming Medical Trauma. When I found that, I was like, yeah, we're using that. I'll um, link it in the show notes too. Yeah. Yes. I will send that to you. Yeah. And so what something that they wrote about was that it's more common for people of low socioeconomic status, minorities, those suffering from pre-existing mental health conditions and those with longer hospital stays or more invasive procedures Mm -hmm. And I just kind of want to clarify that because I don't, I don't want it to sound like it's, if you belong in these groups, it's like somehow your fault, like you're more susceptible. I don't think it's that at all. I think like low socioeconomic status, you're pro- like, I, I'm, you not know, getting adequate care. you're not, you're yeah. not. And I'm thinking you're probably going to like a free clinic right. where there's burnt out doctors yep. who just aren't giving, doing band-aid approaches. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep minorities we know this through lots of other research that like if you don't acknowledge your implicit biases that it's going to affect the type of care that you give i know i went through a lot of training with that in grad school mm-hmm. i don't know what you mean, tamara a little bit okay. but absolutely i mean like you just said people that are in these groups they don't have adequate access to care and when they do get care a lot of stuff might get missed or yep yep yeah, yeah. Like I know more black women die in yep. labor yep. than yep. white women. I know that minorities tend to have their symptoms not taken seriously and just kind of dismissed. So that's a trauma mm-hmm. <laughs> in and of itself. Absolutely. Uh, and, yeah. And then I'm not positive, but I was thinking like pre-existing mental health conditions. I feel like it's common for a doctor to like, I can totally see it. I, you know, I can totally feel it of like looking at your charm and like, oh, you're diagnosed with general anxiety disorder. Yes. This These is things, all in your head. This is all in your head. This yes. is your anxiety. Yep. Yep. And even if it is, like, that's terrible. That's a terrible response. <laughs> sure. And we know the mind and body are so connected. And so like, even if anxiety yes. does interfere with like gut health, you still have physical pain yes. that needs to be treated. Right. Yes. And so it it's both. Yeah. In so many yeah. cases. Yep. And then, yeah, I think just with the longer hospital stays and more advanced and more invasive procedures, I think that one's just pretty obvious. Like you're just there longer. Mm. It just, that could be just the more invasive procedure can be traumatic in and of itself. Yeah. Even if you have a great doctor. The longer you're there and longer you're being treated, the more likely it is that you're going to run into someone that maybe isn't going to treat you in the best way. You know, you're more likely to come across someone that's not. Yeah. Oh. Sure, dismissive or because your primary doctor that you like isn't going to be on call or at the hospital 24 mm. 7. You know, there's going to be those periods where you're there asleep, <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. and that's whoever's yeah. on call at the hospital who doesn't know your case, too. A lot of times, I mean, we talked about mm-hmm. that in that one episode yes. where we just kept getting treated yep. over and over by someone who had no relation as to what was happening. Yeah. And then didn't call in the doctor that did know what was happening and just was treated yeah. poorly. Like, yeah, that could yeah. have been handled differently. Yeah. 
I'm sorry. You were going to say something as well. And I accidentally cut you off. Well, no, it's okay. I was thinking what kind of triggered this memory when you said about bedside manner. I actually have a client who is training to be a doctor and I don't have actual research to back this up. So take it with a grain of salt. Tamara, I usually (laughs) (laughs) But this client told me that that he has read and from his interactions with doctors as he's in his residency can confirm that a lot of there is a significantly larger population of it within the doctor, the medical field who suffer from their own spectrum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm like, okay, that makes a lot of sense because like people who may be on the spectrum, we know one of the traits of that is you get intensely focused on something Mm -hmm. and kind of need to be intensely focused on something to become a doctor. But what we also know about people who are on the spectrum is that sometimes they can lack that social um, connection with people. And so they come across as very cold and uncaring. And so that I can, you know, if you imagine someone that's going through like the most scary thing in their life going through a maybe really intense procedure and their doctor is just like, yep, here's the tax, you know, that's, that's really, really hard. Yeah. So it's, I just thought that was interesting. The bedside sides. Yeah. Of like, this is a genuine human constraint for this person. And that still doesn't mean that it's like an okay experience for the patient. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's kind of a hard edge to balance on of like how much slack can we credit the doctors? You know, how much can we say, okay, maybe that's just your social skills coming into play and that's okay. Versus like, okay, that was kind of unacceptable to do that to a patient. Yeah. It's like, how do you balance that and really figure out how much of it is something that needs to be reported or something that you can just brush yeah. off and say, you know what, my therapy, yeah. that's my problem. Yeah. Versus yeah. That. It makes yeah. me wonder how much training medical professionals get on just basic things like empathy. Yeah. Towards no, the I would love, I right? would love to know if it's even touched on. Like this training. makes me like pretty fired up. Like I'm like, we need to find out. <laughs> <laughs> to the hospitals and like give these doctors training we'll carry those martinis yes this is like yeah i'm like super riled up about this now it's probably like a footnote at the end of a medical book or something right right yeah yeah oh i mean exactly yeah I just want to add a kind of one more quick thing about the commonality is just to include that it can also affect family members. And like, especially uh, this is just from an opinion article from Newsweek. The author was Maya Pally, but she did also do her research. The article is called Healthcare Workers Need Better Bedside Manner to Prevent Trauma. Well, that's fine. I was curious about her research. Yeah. And so she kind of focused on because she was a family member who was traumatized by the treatment that her mom received. And something that she wrote about was that family members who have to watch their loved ones go through treatments and pass from illnesses or treatment or just have treatment related risks, they they are most likely 
to when I'm sorry, when the family member either passes or has like an extreme treatment related adversity, those are the ones obviously more likely to experience trauma. But there was kind of like a section of like study done on those. And it's most common when the family member is asked to make a decision on behalf of the patient, especially if it's like a life decision. Mm -hmm. And a lot of like the qualitative research there kind of indicated that it boils down to family members feeling like they weren't given adequate information to be able to make those decisions. So I just, I thought that that's an important aspect Mm -hmm. to include me, forgive me for kind of through that, but being put in that position in the first place is traumatic. Like regardless of the situation of anything, I can't even imagine having to make that decision for like my significant other or my mom or anything like that. But then also not being given enough information to make the decision. Yeah. 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 That's just a hard topic all around. (laughs) Just no reason to make that harder than it has to be. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Well, in Western medicine, doctors are usually so focused on symptoms, which we've kind of touched on. It could be maybe the doctors on the spectrum a little bit, maybe they're just zeroed in on Mm -hmm. it. But for the most part in Western medicine, just in general, we do just focus on the symptoms or the specific diagnosis and Mm -hmm. the emotional and psychological health of the patient is completely disregarded entirely. So do you have advice for people to stay calm during appointments or ones that, you know, might be able to minimize future trauma at least? For sure. I'll go first here. And then I'm super excited to hear what you think, Tamara, because I know that like, this is really where you thrive as a therapist. And kind of my first thought was like, okay, if, if you do have like, if you have had medical trauma, especially like if you have like a formal diagnosis of PTSD, intense anxiety, I'd say therapy is the place Mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's also like some things that you can do like within that appointment, regardless if you're in therapy, kind of my favorite one is vagus nerve stimulation. Um, We've talked about this before in previous episodes, but being able to stimulate your vagus nerve activates our rest and digest system, which is the opposite of our fight and flight nervous system response. And, you know, what's key to know about the fight or flight activation is that it cuts off connection with our prefrontal Mm -hmm. cortex. Mm -hmm. And that prefrontal cortex is responsible for critical thinking, decision-making, things that you want to have with you when you're in an appointment about your health. So I think like some easy ways to stimulate your vagus nerve when you're just like in a conversation, making sure that you're doing deep belly breathing that we know is kind of a way to the vagus nerve travels like from your brain. It wanders kind of everywhere. I think it's like over a mile long mm-hmm. and it, and it goes down to the oh gut and connects eventually to the I gut. Know, that big. So lots- <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. And so like, which is great because it's got lots of opportunities for you yes. to kind of pluck that cord and stimulate that nerve. So deep belly breathing is one of those. Mm-hmm. And then I know there's a couple of spots like behind the ear and like in the middle ear, you can look these up online that you can just kind of gently massage. And I feel like that's kind of like discreet. If like, for mm-hmm. some reason you don't want to seem like you're anxious mm-hmm. just to be able to kind of rub in that spot and they'll like I said, pluck the cord of the nerve and start that rest, 
rest and digest system. That's a good one. I didn't know that. Yes. Yes. So I highly recommend checking that out where, where those nerve spots are. I still need to research that better myself. And then the other thing that I have is that like, if you're feeling, if you're still feeling anxious, which would be totally understandable, even if you're doing these things in the appointment, I, I know it's hard, but being able to say that to your provider, mm. we have this phrase as therapists, it's called name it to take yes. it. Yes. I knew what you were going to say it before you even said it. Yes. And so when we name our feelings, that's an exercise of the prefrontal cortex. So you're, you're keeping that part of yourself engaged, mm-hmm. which is one part of it. It's kind of like telling your body, Hey, calm down. I'm still in control. I still have agency here. You don't need to activate my fight or flight. My survival responses just yet. They've literally done brain scans when you name it statement. Yeah. And it shows what that fight or flight center calms down just by naming your emotions instantaneous incredible and the other thing that i think it does is it holds the healthcare provider responsible for responding to you better those are great i think and this might i mean I was going to say this might be too much information for the listener, but let's be real. This whole podcast is TMI at this point. So, um, <laughs> you don't know anything about TMI when people say <laughs> yeah. TMI, it's like, I'm <laughs> yeah. well, So I had, Haley knows this. I had an ingrown toenail and I went mm-hmm. to urgent care to have it taken care of because it was really badly infected and huge and super painful. And I couldn't walk on it. And, I ignored it for like three weeks before going to urgent care, which you're not supposed to do apparently. And (laughs) we understand why. I totally understand why. I realized that like I wasn't going because I didn't Mm -hmm. want to deal with it because of how Mm -hmm. I would emotionally react. I didn't realize that that's why I was putting it off. And then once I was there, I was sweating and visibly shaking and like, fiddling with my hands the whole appointment and I, yep. it was like noticeable enough that even the doctor was like do you need some oh gosh what was it probably Xanax yeah, he asked me if I wanted a Xanax and I was like I mean no but I don't know how to tame this <laughs> <laughs> uh, and my my friend Jordan said I was texting her and she was like just you know take a deep breath count to three in through the nose out through the mouth um and right. count for four yep. on the out in for three mm-hmm. on the in and it helped a lot but it, I mean I think it would have been interesting to try out those other things that you suggested like in the ear and that kind of thing yeah breathing helped yeah. a lot it didn't yeah. tame it all the way <laughs> but it helped mm-hmm. noticeably yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. Uh, I didn't know that part of the story, yeah. but I'm so glad. <laughs> so glad George told you. That. Yeah. It took me like a half an hour into actually sitting in the appointment to text her. This was at the point where the numbing agent hadn't worked. And so they were trying a second numbing oh, agent. And I was like, I'm so freaked out right now. Yes, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Oh, of course. So what do you, do you have anything to add? So... I really would love to just echo and like just really highlight 
talking to the provider about how you're feeling and I'll sometimes like role play with my clients like because a lot of a lot of times my clients get to the point where they're like I really think I need medication but I'm like so nervous to go to my doctor like do you think they'll like actually give me medication you have no idea like how many times I'm like okay a yes but like let's do some role play yeah so they always the number one thing that they think is that they won't be taken seriously. Yep. Which is devastating. A, but like just empowering them to be able to say like, this is what I'm feeling. And I think this is where like being with in therapy with a therapist is so great because I can do the measurements that like measure their anxiety, measure their depression. Mm-hmm. And I can be like, yeah, just bring this in and just be like, you, I, I, I always tell them, just put it on me. Just say, yeah, my therapist told me to come. She thinks I need medication. <laughs> but I think like the name it to tame it. Yeah. Just by vocalizing, I'm really anxious. I had an experience recently at the dentist where I had to get an old filling replaced. And one thing I really liked that they did there was on their intake forms, they said, do you have previous dental anxiety? Ooh, and I was like, bless I your agree. heart. Yeah. I really bless appreciate that. your heart. Yeah. That was amazing. And I was like, yes, I hate this. <laughs> like, I absolutely hate this. And I, I noticed, like, I feel like I have my anxiety very well managed, but I noticed when I went to that appointment to get it done, I was so anxious. And so just telling them when I walked in, Hey, I'm really anxious right now. And one of them gave me a terrible response. She's like, what, why? (laughs) But the other one was like, all right, we'll take care of you. Let's take deep breaths. So anyways, like having great providers who are equipped to manage that is awesome. But back to your own coping skills. Yeah. A, tell the provider you're really anxious, but especially when it comes to things like getting needles, because many people are very scared of getting needles and might be prone to getting really dizzy or lightheaded or even passing out. I agree with Um, that. Yep. Progressive muscle relaxation is really helpful for that. So tensing and releasing different parts of the muscles, because when we get really anxious about specifically with like needles or anything that is like intrusive, our blood pressure can really, really dip really low, which exacerbates that like, oh my gosh, I'm going to pass out. For some reason, I don't know the science behind this, so don't ask me. (laughs) For some reason, if you kind of clench and release your fists and your limbs, so your arms and your legs, tense and release, tense and release, for some reason that kind of calms your body down. So that could be a helpful thing if someone's just in the waiting room or they're waiting to get a procedure. Where there's going to be like needles or injections involved. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, it sounds really simple and like cliche, but like plain old distraction, like going to your happy place in your head, envisioning yourself somewhere else talking while you're getting something done, asking them, Hey, tell me a story about like how your week was, or tell me a story about how your day was, how many kids do you have, whatever. Just that distraction can really help. I think. Yeah. I love that. I agree with all those. 
I think I lucked out at urgent care because I had a really great provider. I mean, he noticed that I was anxious, you know, he wanted to take care of that. And he also gave me like, you know, the knowledge of that he does this all the time. He knows exactly what to do. He's going to make it not hurt. We're going to wait until any of the numbing agents work. If these numbing agents don't work, he's got a backup plan. Don't worry about it. You're not going to feel it. And then he also was talking to me the whole time. So like, as he's working on my toe, he's asking me questions like, what are your plans tomorrow? And you know, oh. do you have any vacations coming up over the summer? So he was enacting some of those things that you were just talking about. And I think that was really great. Yeah, absolutely. It really does help to just get your mind off of the thing that's happening. Otherwise, we just fixate so much on the pain and on the sensation and get really in our heads. Yep. And that's when the anxiety spirals. Yeah, yep. absolutely. So what would you guys really define medical trauma or PTSD as being? Because there's, mm -hmm. I feel like there's an extreme version and kind of a not as extreme version. Like, does it really only relate to people who have like adverse reactions to like scheduling a surgery and then having absolute hysterics about it? Or does it really just include mild panic attack, like symptoms, like sure. being over the top sure. nervous about basic appointments? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I pulled on that article by Hall and Hall because they did define medical trauma there. And they wrote that it's trauma experienced as a result of medical procedures, illnesses, and hospital stays wherein the mental health impact is experienced long-term. Mm. And then I just kind of, you know, as I was reading that, I was like, okay, like medical procedures, I suppose, like medical treatment is like embedded in that. But I just kind of thought it was like important to like emphasize that it's not just like maybe even medicine treatment that can cause the trauma, but like the interpersonal treatment, you know, mm -hmm. it's just, as we've already talked about, it's just, you're in such a vulnerable position mm -hmm. and, you know, to be invalidated or ignored can just make it feel even worse. The other thing that I wanted to say about this is that not every single medical trauma and in general, not every single trauma will result in a diagnosis or an experience of PTSD mm -hmm. that does not invalidate that you experience a trauma. Mm -hmm. It just might manifest differently as like some of things that I know are like acute, God, what is it? I wrote this down earlier, acute stress disorder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Acute mm -hmm. stress disorder. And that's just, you know, where the symptoms of it, very similar criteria for PTSD, but the symptoms last underneath a month and uh, PTSD symptoms are at least a month mm -hmm. presenting. Yeah, it could present as anxiety disorders, depression disorders, prolonged grief, or the development of like somatic symptoms. I know that there is um, a medical condition called CPRS, which is chronic, or maybe it's, yes, CRPS. Chronic recurrent pain syndrome, I believe is what it is. I have a client who's experienced this and the treatment is traditionally like physical therapy, but it was also a very emotional experience for her. So I supported her emotionally through it, but basically what it is, is maybe I'll put like some context around it. So like, let's, let's say you're in this super traumatic situation. You are a war refugee and you're fleeing your country and you're getting on a boat and right. Like in this process of running, you break your leg, but the human body is amazing. You're able to keep running. You get over to a new country, you get proper medical treatment. You're completely healed. But let's say on the anniversary of this trauma, 
your leg feels broken and like symptoms stay. They're like, it has to be chronic. It has to be recurrent for this diagnosis, but like it will actually feel to the person as they cannot walk. They genuinely feel their leg broken, but they'll go in and get scans and x-rays and it'll show nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So those are the somatic symptoms that can sometimes out of the trauma. Yes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. This is really unfortunate. There's a lot of impacts that can happen because of medical trauma. Well, it really shows that the body keeps score, right? Yeah. Like yes. we can, we can be past something timeline wise, but our body is still holding on to that. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to go to amazing trauma therapists like Haley. And- or Tamara. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have anything else that you wanted to add on top of? I mean, I really consider Haley to be the trauma expert in this area. I I mean, from an OCD standpoint, since 99% of my clients have OCD, I have had a significant, well, I wouldn't say a significant, but like a, a sizable chunk of my caseload that have come to me after experiencing some sort of medical trauma or issue and now it's all they can fixate on so Mm -hmm. for example I had a very young woman who unfortunately had a stroke and she's fine now Mm -hmm. but now any sensation that Mm -hmm. reminds her of the sensation she felt in that moment so if she's lying on her on her hand wrong and she wakes up in her hand yeah. pins and needles, I'm having a stroke. I'm having a stroke. I need reassurance. I need reassurance. I need to Google it. I need mm-hmm. to make sure I'm not having a stroke. And now she meets criteria for OCD in this area. I have a lot of clients who they've experienced a medically traumatic incident, and now they are so hyper vigilant around yeah. it that they are constantly scanning their bodies, constantly checking, constantly asking for reassurance and it kind of rules their life. And so I think, you know, obviously like I treated the OCD part, but I think they also need to revisit the trauma and process the trauma. So their bodies can know that, that that it's safe now. That thing that happened is over Yeah, and they're not living in it. They're safe now. That thing has passed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, just totally agree with that. That like, there's no no fault for sure. No shame in how in the symptoms that you carry afterward. It is your body trying to protect you and trying to regulate you after you've experienced something very serious that deserves care and you didn't get it at the time. And so this is just what can happen. You know, I also went through and pulled out my DSM to formally uh, define PTSD, but I don't know if we, you know, really want to bother going through that. If you think that would be helpful, Becky, I'm, I'm certainly happy to. I don't see why not. Okay. I'll be brief about it. There's eight criteria to meet the diagnosis. Um, so, so the first criteria, question, do you have to meet all eight? You have to meet all, all eight. eight. Okay. You have to meet all eight criteria, but there'll be like subsections within here. 
The first one is pretty obvious. It's just exposure to a traumatic event, but that exposure can be firsthand, secondhand. So you witnessed it. It can be like learning about it. It's like a child wasn't at the hospital when their parent passed, but they know that their parent passed at the hospital or it can be constant exposure. So an example that I thought of for that was like, say like a hospital janitor Mm -hmm. during COVID. Mm -hmm. No, not interacting with this, with the patients at all, but they're constantly seeing these overflowing hallways, hospital beds, fortunately, like, you know, bodies being carried out of the hospital. Like there's no personal relation there, but they're constantly exposed to it. a great example too. Mm -hmm. Of course that would be traumatic. Mm -hmm. And so the second criteria is presence of one or more of the following symptoms. And I think these are like four symptoms, recurrent intrusive memories of the event, recurrent distressing dreams of the event, dissociation. So that's like your body reacting as if the trauma is happening here and now when it's not and intense and prolonged psychological distress when reminded of the event or kind of like in a similar setting of the event. So just at least one of those. The third criteria is persistent efforts to avoid the event. So whether that's, I mean, I think that one speaks for itself. The fourth criteria is negative alterations of cognitions or mood. So I think like kind of two examples here, like not being able to remember certain aspects of the event or beginning to believe like some dark things about yourself because of the event. So like, I do not deserve adequate care. I am not worth your t- anyone's attention. This is my fault. This is my fault. Things like that. So that's the fourth one is negative alteration of cognition and mood. The fifth one is marked arousal or reactivity associated with the event. And they give several examples here, but it, you must have at least two of these symptoms. Irritable behavior or angry outbursts. Reckless or self-destructive behavior, like self-harm or maybe like just reckless drinking, reckless drug use, probably a coping mechanism. But right. So we're seeing the the reaction there. Hypervigilance, which is I think you spoke to this really well earlier, Tamara, just, you know, constantly checking exaggerated startle responses. So when someone surprises you, instead of just being like, you surprised me, like a scream comes out like and it's just it's not something that I know. I know what you're thinking, Becky. Um, I had an experience with a neighbor that is too much of a story we will not go into, but um, yeah. right? it's just it's the body's way of that hypervigilance. I think it's an extension of the hypervigilance. Problems with concentration and sleep disturbances. Mm. So that's the fifth criteria, at least two of those arousal reactivity symptoms that are directly associated with the event. And then the sixth criteria is that these symptoms have been lasting for at least a month. Mm. Uh, the seventh is that they're disturbing enough that they're interfering with areas of daily functioning. So you're not talking to your friends, you're not going to work, you're calling in sick to work a lot, things like that. And then the eighth is just, it gets tacked on to every single diagnosis. It's just that these symptoms cannot be attributed to or otherwise explained by the psychological effects of substances or other medicines that you're taking. So okay. that is the definition of PTSD. Helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad. Okay. Yeah. I think that was good to have in here. Thank you for looking that up. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Yeah. 
I think a lot of us can relate to some of those, even just like on a small level, like, sure. yeah. but yeah. 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 Right. And so maybe like you don't fully meet the criteria, but like I said earlier, that does not mean that you're exp- experiencing trauma right. and you deserve to be in good hands yeah. to recover from that. Yeah. I find that so many of my clients are like, I feel like I'm not allowed to call this trauma. And I always say, hey, mm. trauma is what ever you felt traumatized by. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't care if it's like you stepped on an ant and it hurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that traumatized you we're calling it trauma yeah like, I, I don't know that's just my perspective I think there's a technical definition of it which is like an over an emotionally overwhelming event in which you were alone mm-hmm. um you know and I think that there really can be some like adaptations to that like just felt being alone absolutely um, yeah I think definition when we're talking like physiological trauma like if if you just went into like freeze response you're experiencing a trauma yes like you know and whether or not that gets processed out and you rebound and you're okay but your body going into freeze response means it's not safe enough for you to fight Mm. and it's not safe enough for you to flee Mm. and you are stuck in the situation Mm. and so the body freezes to protect you what a helpless feeling i know yeah i know how are you doing good Good over here. <laughs> Just thinking of things that, you know, like, okay, yeah. maybe I yeah. never really realized it, but like, I've definitely done some of those things, you know, definitely sure. avoided going to appointments if I have to. And I've okay. definitely yeah. drank too mm-hmm. much nights before certain appointments for things. And, you know, sure. I mean, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, if you think about the why behind those things, it's really easy to have compassion on, oh my God, of course I do this. Look what I've experienced. Yes. Yes. Of course I want to avoid. Of course I want to numb out. Yeah. Look at what that past version of me experienced. Yeah. Yeah. We're just trying our best to to keep going. Yeah. I think something that I struggle with and I don't know about anybody else out there who grew up with medical problems and went to doctors a lot, but I feel, or this is what I tell myself is that like, I've been through this so many times. I shouldn't feel this traumatized by it. I, it should just be like, it's on your schedule. It's just routine. Like I should know better than to have my body react this way and feel this way about it. Yeah. But, you know, like, I mean, and th- that's right there. I mean, the yeah. negative alterations of cognitions yeah. or mood. And I think we need to, you believe I should, I should, I shouldn't be able, I should be able to recover from this by yeah. now. Yeah. This shouldn't be a problem by now. Okay. You've experienced trauma. If you're telling yourself <laughs> yeah, that. Oh, I tell myself that every time I go to the doctor. <laughs> I know. I, girl, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I, yeah. Yeah. I just wonder what would happen if we said, Oh, okay. My body is telling me something. Mm -hmm. Okay. Instead of like pathologizing myself for this or trying to convince my body out of something that it's clearly telling me, can I be with it? And that, that might be way too intense. You might need a trauma therapist to process (laughs) that with because because maybe it's too much to feel yep. in that moment. Maybe it's way too scary to go there. And maybe all the person knows is to be like, just get it together and white knuckle it through. And if that's what they need to do, 
that's what that's okay that's Um, but but yeah acknowledging that the body's never wrong yep yeah 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 and I also may uh, I wasn't planning on adding this but I feel like it's it's good for the conversation when it comes to coping mechanisms the reactions that you're having whether they're behavior thought or mood it is it is 100% your body just trying to cope yes. with the event and yes. I tell all of my clients there's no such thing as a bad coping mechanism nope. because your nervous system is dysregulated and in order to survive and function you need to get your nervous system regulated. Mm. Are there coping mechanisms that have more like consequences or collateral damage? Yes, but we'll deal with that down the road. Right now, you just need an effective coping mechanism. And I'm not going to judge you for what that is. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So then I guess this is a big question, even though it's like the shortest question on my list. How would you go about tackling this issue with a client? Yeah. So I'm pretty methodical about trauma just because I do take it so seriously um, and approach it with such tenderness and care. The first step is probably the most important that I take. And it's just my client and I need to be on the same page that this was a trauma and it's still affecting their life on some level. And they would like for it not to affect their life. If they don't sign off on those three things. I'm not pushing you to talk about it. Like I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to tell you, you have to talk about this because what that is, is actually like reinforcing the trauma, right? If you think about trauma, you had to do this, even though you had like you were overwhelmed emotionally and you didn't want to. So I'm not going to force you to talk about it because I'm repeating the trauma if I do that. And so I just take a lot of patience, you know, or like, yeah, like patience, like I'm being patient, but I use lots of patience, titration, curiosity. So, you know, if someone's telling me a story, I might think like, I might be like, oh gosh, like, I'm, I'm so sorry. And they might kind of look at me like, what do you mean? Like, I mean, doctors just treat you that way. Isn't that just normal? And, you know, I'll maybe put out there, like, if it's okay for me to say, like, you know, I don't think that that's normal. I think that it sounds like you were experiencing something really serious and you deserve for that to be validated and taken seriously. And I'm so sorry it wasn't. And, you know, sometimes they'll dive right in with me, but sometimes it's like, hmm, I guess I hadn't thought of it that way. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go talk about something else. Like I just, you know, maybe they'll come back and they'll be like, okay, I was thinking about that. And I guess I kind of want to talk more about, cause it was upsetting. Right. So I'm like, you know, titrating into getting your full sign off on this. Mm-hmm. And then I continue on with the concept of titrating, which means that we're gradually increasing the level of distress that is evoked. And we only increase once my client understands the concept of pendulation. Trauma training that I study is a type of therapy called somatic experiencing. Mm. I'm actually going to another conference this October and I get to visit Becky um, when I go to the train. So yes, pendulation is a somatic experiencing technique, which means that we can talk about this it's upsetting. And then ultimately the client can experience their nervous system calming back down, back into homeostasis. And I can do titration in a lot of ways. And your way of practicing titration is probably called like, like exposure therapy. Mm -hmm. You're gently exposing it. But because like I'm dealing with like events that just like, 
you know, you can't go back to, this right. isn't like a phobia of like being near a spider. Sure. I have to use like their imagination. Mm-hmm. And so I have them visualize it in different ways. One technique is like imagining the trauma as just like a black and white movie that we're watching at the back of the movie theater. And you've got a remote, you can change the channel whenever you want. You know, Scarlett Johansson is in the movie, right? Experiencing this, this is not you, right? And that can kind of get them into talking about it and staying regulated. And then gradually, you know, we move up rows in the movie theater, or the mm. movie comes to color. Maybe now you're finally the character in the movie. Like we're moving closer and closer mm. to it. I just, I'll also- say real quick, I really love that visualization. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love that too. Yeah. Some of my clients like have a hard time, like black and white movie. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's easier. It's yep. not as vivid. It's not as exactly. real. removed from the situation. Yeah. And you can slowly yeah. immerse yourself back into it. Yeah. Imagine it really far. Yeah. Can we go a little baby yep. step closer? They still have yeah. any subtitles? Yep. Is it no sound yet? Yes. Look at you. You're a trauma therapist. <laughs> 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 So for my clients that can't subscribe to that, I'll use like some 2D imagery or colors. Like they're not telling me at all about the event, but they'll be like, I just see the color red. Okay. Like tell me what that color red is doing. Well, it's contracting into a ball and it's bouncing around. Right. And so like, okay, let's just watch that ball bounce around and let's breathe. And then again, titration will mean that like slowly, like, oh, I'm, I'm the ball that's red. Right. Like this is how I felt at the time. Okay. Okay. Like, are we ready to talk about what's happening outside? And what we're ultimately building up to is being able to envision and experience the event yourself back in your body, back in the version of you who experienced this trauma and being able to remain calm and compassionate with yourself. And I go a little bit further than that. That's not enough for me. I want more for you. And so at that point, right, like I'll start like kind of when I can see that like they're fully calm, like there'll be like feelings of like relief that come up. Right. And so I'm going to like ask questions about that. And like usually what we're going to see is like a total schema shift, because I think one of the hardest things when we talked about the diagnosis earlier, are the negative beliefs about yourself. And so like, as you are able to re-experience the trauma in a way where you got what you needed, like we rewrite the trauma, right? Like you'll be able to say like, you know, like I'm realizing this isn't my fault. Like mm-hmm. I, I just needed to be able to say no, but I couldn't then because I was frozen. I was a child. The person had more authority than me. Yes. And now I'm envisioning myself being able to say no. And now as I'm envisioning that, that's where the schema shift, I mean, get goosebumps every time I talk about this, like that's where the schema shift comes in and someone learns and they connect in their mind with that emotion of relief. Like, oh, like I couldn't then. And that is so sad that I couldn't then, but I can now. And then we met a process that, which means we talk over and over and over again about the process that we went through to get there. Cause I'm trying to associate the relief with the new belief and associate the sadness with the old belief. And so there's a term that we use in therapy that's called neurons that wire together, fire together. And so that's why we're going out over and over and over again. I'm trying to make those connections. And then there's usually kind of this really, and I'm, I'm 
juxtaposing it directly because I also want the connection of that was then that was sad. Like I need that in the past. So I need you to say that in the past with compassion and in the present, what is now. And there's like, just kind of like a lot of celebration that I do at this point. Cause like I, I, that's how schemas really get cemented. There's strong emotion attached to that. So like when there's kind of just this like climax of like pride or mastery or like relief, we really bask in that. Mm. I can go into a little bit more here too, of like how I get there. If you guys are interested. I'm, I'm always interested in more information personally. (laughs) I love talking about how I work because it just like, it's just, it makes me so happy to get to be a part of this. Like it's so fulfilling. And so I just, I admire all my clients that have taught me these things too. And also, I guess I should add, like, sometimes there is no new narrative. Like, not everyone needs to find strength in their trauma. Sometimes it can just be that really sucked. And that should have never happened to you. And And that sucked. And what what am I going to, like, now can I live my life moving forward? We don't have to make rainbows out of no no you you don't have to learn something from it not everyone finds strength in their trauma that phrase what doesn't kill you makes you stronger I think is really stigmatizing because you know not everyone finds lessons not everyone finds healing or not healing I'm sorry like strength yes or sometimes it just really was an awful thing yep and that's okay yeah that is absolutely okay and that's where I honestly have the most compassion. I think I, I, I have endless compassion, but like, I just, I really hold that one. So to get to that point, uh, I'm tracking and trying to unlock the physiological trapped energy. And I'll define that in a second. And I'm also working with the unprocessed emotions. So the physiological approach is informed by somatic experiencing that approach to treating trauma. And it's about letting the body experience and finish the reaction that couldn't happen then. And so we talked earlier about the freeze response. Well, the body's only freezing because it couldn't fight. It couldn't flee. And so when my clients are talking about this and they realize that that's what they needed. And because we're in the imagination, anything can happen in the imagination. Also little point here, the hippocampus, which stores your memories, it's very close to the limbic system, which is in charge of your emotions and your hippocampus does not have eyes. So this is why when you imagine arguing with your boss, you're getting really heated in the shower when you're thinking about this, because the body does not know that that's not actually happening. Mm. So I use that somatic experiencing uses that to mm-hmm. to our advantage that you can really genuinely feel like you're back there. Mm-hmm. But this time, like there's this click of like, I needed to run away. Yeah. Like someone told me I should have like pushed and fought, but I needed to run away. And so like, that's a typical one where there's like, I'll use like a technique of like, okay, I want you to move your feet right now. I want you to tap your feet as if your body is running. It's releasing that physiological response that needed to happen. And so, yeah. And there's usually like a lot of trembling that happens Mm -hmm. with this. Mm -hmm. People get self-conscious about it, but like, this is literally the animal kingdom. Yes how animals you can watch videos of this like when they get captured by prey and then they get released like they were in free state but then like they'll tremble and then they'll like dart off because the body's shaking shaking out the the physiology there so that's a super important step that i look for 
So alongside unlocking like the physiological story, I'm also kind of tracking and identifying, you know, what was the core emotion going on at this time? And it's usually like intense grief or fear or anger. And I help them to be able to feel that feeling, to be with that feeling because I'm creating safety for you to be with that feeling. And that's for the goal of being able to help you identify that need, right? Our feelings are meant to give us helpful messages. Every single feeling has an adaptive reaction. And so we're really listening closely to what is that feeling asking of me? And so, yeah. And then that'll kind of, they'll go in tandem with the physiological response. So, so cool. And that's the work I do. Yeah. I love it. Beautiful work. Thank you. Do you want to add anything? I don't think I can follow that. <laughs> I mean, nothing that can't be said in a slightly different way. Like I'm, I'm definitely, I do not espouse myself as a trauma therapist, but who has not experienced trauma. So like, even though my clients come to me predominantly for OCD and anxiety, they, everyone has trauma that informs that OCD and anxiety. And so I think I just really like to really understand and help the person identify what were the beliefs that you internalized as a result of this experience. And that could be a wide range of things. I'm weak. I, it, I can't do anything right. I, whatever it is, I can't handle stress. I, in order to be safe, I must do X, Y, and Z, whatever it is. So, okay. What were the beliefs that were internalized as a result of that? And what did that version of you, that past version of you need to actually hear Yes. understand and believe about yes. themselves. And, and then I like to go through the process of what I call re, reparenting yourself yes. because we all needed like some, some source of parenting in that yes. moment, whether it was from an actual parent or an authority figure or a medical professional or whatever. But what I love to do with my clients is, is like help them be the parents of their own nervous yes. systems. And so what did you need to believe in that time? What did you, what did you need in general? Yeah. And can we speak? And a lot of times I'm like, I'm sorry if this sounds woo-woo, but it's real. <laughs> it is. Can we speak to that version of yourself that's still dictating how you live right now and tell them when that version is activated and that can be activated by a variety of triggers. Can we tell that version of yourself what they need to hear in that moment? And like Haley was saying, what we'll fires together, wires together. This can't be done just once. Okay, little self, yep. like, yep. you are safe now. Like, no, like, you have to do this over and over yep. and over again. And at first, you might have to fake it till you make it, but yep. eventually, your nervous system is going to believe that message and really believe that that thing is not happening anymore. You are safe and you are capable and you are able to handle that. If it, if it happens again, you have new resources, you have the resources of your present self, not that past self. So, so well said. Yeah, I totally agree. 
I love the, the phrase reparenting your nervous system. Yes. I've never put it that way. It's like reparenting yourself, which I think is a daunting task, but I love the idea of reparenting your nervous system. Yeah. I think also when it comes to like medical professionals who mistreated you, I love having someone write a no send letter. Mm. And I'm like, this is not a time to filter yourself. This is not a time to be polite. This is you like getting angry. This is you like owning what you needed in that moment and telling that medical professional. And obviously it's safe because we're not actually sending it to the person. And then like even kind of doing a little ritual by burning the letter or Mm -hmm. putting it in the sea or whatever. Yeah, it can be a healing part of someone's journey too. Love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Cause definitely verbalizing it in any form, writing, actually verbalizing, but can be super therapeutic. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then what would be your best advice for those of us at home that maybe aren't seeing a professional? Yeah. I just want to build on what you just said there, Becky, like communicating, like talking about it, especially I think in situations where, you know, your trigger might show up in kind of like a, maybe like socially or relationally constraining way. And so you're like telling your partner, Hey, when this thing happens, it's not about you, but I freeze up and I just need you to know that. Right. And even then, right. Like with someone who's super caring, like they can kind of do the reparenting in a way of like giving you what you needed then when your body's experiencing it. I do that with couples therapy a lot, actually, but we're not talking about therapy right now. But yeah, just being able to talk about your story, I think is, is probably the best advice I can give you. And that's just because like, I just, I have so much heart for just how serious and sacred trauma is. And I mean, I just, I want you in the hands of of a professional, like you deserve that. And so I know that's a big step for a lot of people. It's totally fine. Take it at the pace that you want to take it. I'd say in the meantime, just try to talk about it. Listen to podcasts like this, where you can learn about it. So you understand what's happening in your body. And I'd say that's a really good start. Yeah. I mean, um, simple things that you can do without a professional, like even just I know with medical trauma, it can feel not only uncomfortable, but completely dangerous to be in your body. Mm -hmm. And so baby steps into just being in your body. So like yoga, body scans, meditations online that focus on body scans and really knowing that I think when, when any of us go into like, okay, I'm going to start meditating or I'm going to start yoga. We're like, oh, I feel like I need to go like three times a week or do like 30 minute meditations. No, one minute of being in your body. That's good enough. Yeah. It's good enough. It's a huge step and it's much more doable than yeah, going to yoga three times a week. (laughs) Yep. Pema Shadron, the mindfulness teacher, I'm probably butchering her last name, but she said something that really stuck with me. She's like, if you can be with yourself and your body for one second more than you could yesterday, Mm. that is progress. That is the warrior path. I love that. Yeah. And so little things about like being in your body, we know that movement, the 
even just the right, left, right, yes. left of walking helps us process emotion. Things like bilateral stimulation, just doing a little, I know <laughs> listeners can't see me and acting like they can see me, but like putting your hands on your shoulders, crisscross style. I'm not yes. explaining as well. And just tapping can kind of just like, while you kind of like be with the memories can kind of help. I love that. Cause it's also like, kind of like a hug. Yeah. Like it's like an embrace. And so, it's super soothing for yep. your nervous system. And the other thing I think the mind and the body need to understand what happened. And so telling your story to trusted people, I can't emphasize trusted people, Yes, but telling your story over and over again can really, really help kind of process that information. There's one other thing I was going to say. Uh, I lost it. Okay. We'll come back. Those are all awesome suggestions. I'm so glad you're here to, to provide those. And I'm curious about your opinion, Haley, because like I'm of two minds about like visiting the place where the trauma happened. I Mm -hmm. think Mm -hmm. that can be a really healing experience, but it can also be too much if you do it too fast. I totally agree with that. It's all about pacing. Like I said earlier, titration. Um, Only if and when you are totally ready to do this. And then I would just say like, bring, bring someone trusted because yeah. you may like feel and be- really believe that, but you might be surprised by what actually comes up. Yes. And so have someone there with you. Yeah. But I do think that like, gosh, I feel like I'm thinking of like movies or like, honestly, even like, no, like documentaries more. I can't think of one in particular, but that can be a really like I just I feel like I've seen it that like that can be a really healing thing mm-hmm. or even like if someone watches like Grey's Anatomy or something totally like, totally that's a good idea yeah. yeah yeah watching like a medical show could be like a step in sure yeah yeah awesome yeah I haven't thought about that one but definitely writing and like doing something physical I think I've used as ways to process things okay. that I felt really helped a lot <laughs> So for those of you who don't know, I went to school for writing. And so I took a lot of creative writing classes and Mm -hmm. I took a short story class and I wound up actually processing some of my past trauma through writing short stories about it. And it was super therapeutic. And then, yeah, yeah. I remember, I'm sorry. I remember in one episode, your mom that was on with your mom um, who homeschooled you in high school said that like, yeah, that would be your liter- uh, your writing homework, which you would say, I-, I want you to write about like this hospital stay. And she was just Aww. super mom in that idea. Yeah, no, that was great. And I think, I think it helped. I mean, back then it was more about like what happened versus like how I felt about it which is still helpful, but I think it helps so that when I was writing about it in college, I could then focus and move on to how I felt during those moments. Yeah. 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 And then in addition to yoga, I think dance as well. Yes. Yes. Lifesaver. I experienced years and years of trauma growing up and dance was, I was actually talking to Tamara about like dance, typically involves like flexibility and like stretching also activates your parasympathetic nervous system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea why I was like addicted to stretching growing up, but like that totally explains it. I was so Mm -hmm. fucking flexible and just, yeah, like dance allows you to emote 
and like in a safe way because I don't know I loved it words can you can just throw your emotions behind your movements and just get it out of your system that's right in a safe space yeah (laughs) exactly exactly I'm so glad you threw that one So my last question then is a little bit more specific. I don't know about others, but for me with having a lot of issues that are in the lower region of my body that are being treated, you know, I've had some issues I've had to wrangle with regarding being in a sexual relationship. And after having discussions with my mom about a few scenarios, you know, we realized some of it stems from how I was handled as a young child with that first doctor that I had. And although I can't actually remember what it was because I was way too young. I mean, I was like two years old. I don't remember it. My, obviously my body remembers it. Would you suggest for people who have situations like that trauma or sex discussions with the counselor or a combination of the two? Yeah. I just want to say, first of all, like that is such a brave story to Mm -hmm. tell because I think it can be so hard when we don't have the memories to be able to articulate why. So glad you had a witness there that could help you. And I'm honestly even thinking, Becky, when I, when I read that question, I was like, even when you were an infant, you know, like literally a newborn, like there was like just this, this touching that like, was so just, you know, you're wide open, you know, like that. I just, I feel so much for it. You know, it's like a perfect example. The body keeps score. I was like, you don't remember it, but your body is like, I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And that was not okay. And so I really think like a combination there and like specifically with like a well-trained trauma therapist would be something that I would recommend because well-trained trauma therapists are comfortable addressing sexual distress because a lot of trauma is sexually based, sexually traumatic events. And so the trauma is the core issue in this case. And then it presents as sexual symptoms. And so like, just as long as I think like the therapist is competent and talking about that as well so that you can like kind of start there with treating that acutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also kind of letting the body tell the story yeah. and process it in like a physiological way. That's where kind of the ultimate recommendation of like a well-trained trauma therapist okay. comes in. I just thought it was so interesting because mm-hmm. it's such a crossover of both things you know, sexual trauma versus medical trauma, which are totally different things, but it's such an interesting crossover. And I mean, I've been speaking with so many other girls who have, you know, similar things to me and it's all below the bell and it's Mm -hmm. all so uncomfortable and all of them experience in their own ways, different traumas in the private life that kind of relate to that. And it's like, how do we deal with that? That's such a hard topic to talk about. Yeah. And medical professionals need to be much more educated on the idea that, you know, I think, especially as women, we shame ourselves when, you know, I think of so many women who it it hurts to have sex or Mm -hmm. it's, it's just, it's just painful. And so they get kind of labeled as like, well, there must just be like a medical issue, but it would be such a disservice to discount some of the possible absolutely trauma that could go into that 
And I don't know enough about the medical field, how they deal with this, but I would hope that instead of just treating it as like a pelvic issue or whatever and assigning some kind of exercises or whatever, hope that they would say like, have you experienced any kind of like trauma to this yes, region of your body, absolutely. even things that you don't think might be directly absolutely related, but you know, kind of being broad and curious with that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. That would be a wonderful tactic for doctors to add in. I mean, if you think about it, sex is literally one of the most vulnerable things we can do. It's, it is. Um, yeah. And to assume that <laughs> the body would not like resist against yes. that if it had previously stored something traumatic there is yeah. like insane. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. I just, all I can say is like, if people are struggling in that area, your pain is real and like you deserve to get the help you need. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Whether it's medically based, emotionally based or both. Yeah. And it's most likely. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yes. Awesome. That was all of my questions. Do you guys have anything else that you want to add just in general on the topic? (laughs) Thank you for doing this, Becky. I think it's so important that you're holding this platform and this space, especially, you know, I listen to the podcast. And so I know, and I hear a lot of your guests do talk about, like, I think one of them labeled it white coat syndrome. Oh my God. Yes. I was going to yeah. say that earlier. The yeah. white coat syndrome. Yeah. There's been studies done this. Okay. Like, okay. Yes. Like you go in there and you immediately feel inferior. You mm-hmm. immediately feel you cannot ask questions. You cannot challenge them. Mm-hmm. And so I think one thing is like, own your power as a patient, yeah. own your power. Even if you have to fake it till you make it, you are no lesser than that person that is treating you and you deserve answers. You deserve information and you deserve competent and yeah. effective treatment. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. This goes back to one of my first episodes where I talked about how to be your own advocate. Like literally one yeah. of your things yeah. is just, you are the only one living in your body. No yes. one knows your body yeah. better you than you. Of yourself. Yeah. Yes. If you're not getting the answers you need ask questions. If they're not handling it well, ask to be transferred to a different doctor. You have that right. Yes, Yes. absolutely. Absolutely. And I tell my clients always say, oh, but I'm bothering them or, oh, but I'm being an inconvenience. I'm like, all right, you can feel that insecurity and I'm asking you to do it. (laughs) Feel the fear and do it anyways. You need to be your biggest advocate right now. Yeah. Yeah, you deserve this. Yeah, we'll take space for the fear right here and now in this yep. session and we'll reparent the nervous system. <laughs> and you need to do this. Yep. It's, it's what's best for you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, I mean, there's so much information here that I feel like could validate so many people. And so I think you're just doing something. Yeah. Thank you. Really admirable mm-hmm. by creating the space. So thank you for having us. Well, thank you for coming on and being experts. I mean, I learned a lot and even about myself during this. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Body Talk with Bex. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts at. Also consider becoming a patron on patreon.com. And I know there was a lot of information in this episode from Tamara and Haley. And don't worry, you didn't have to take notes. We're actually putting together an article to go live on the website soon so that all of that information is accessible at your fingertips. And if you would like to share your story or know someone who does, I can be contacted through my website, www.bodytalkwithbex.com or on social media. Thanks for listening.